0: We here at Yash Jesus believe that God doesn't make mistakes.
1: Not with people and not with produce.
0: Which is why we're so excited to be partnering with Imperfect Foods.
1: Imperfect Foods is an online grocer that recovers ugly produce and surplus
0: foods that would otherwise go to waste. And delivers fresh, customizable boxes to your door for up to 30% less than the grocery stores.
1: We're talking farmers, market, quality girls.
0: Without the hassle of going out of your house, honey.
1: Without the hassle. And now, Imperfect has... Expanded to include pantry staples like lentils, rice, olive
0: oil, and bread you name it to help round out your shopping. <laughs>
1: Girls, I just got my weekly shipment of imperfect produce, and let me tell you Ooh, spill it, girl, spill it. I got this ugly little watermelon that puts the pretty little peach and call me by your name to
0: shame. <laughs> Trust me, you're going to want to get in on this. To get your first shipment of perfectly imperfect farm-fresh produce, go to imperfectfoods.com and use the promo code YASJESUS. That's Y-A-S-S-J-E-S-U-S. Oh, yeah. Kings and queens oh, yeah. and in between sinner saints, and I don't know if I is or I ain't, welcome to another fantastical episode of Yas Jesus! It is I, Daniel Franzese, your host, And I am here as always with my bestie, Azariah Southworth. Come on in, enjoy yourself, because today here at Yash Jesus, we believe more than ever that God gets us through one day at a time. Yeah, God's grace is sufficient for us no matter
1: the obstacles that we're facing.
0: He is here, he is present. And guess who else is here? Kathleen Murphy is our guest tonight. We're going to have her come on in a little bit, but we're going to get right into the praise report and the prayer request first. Azariah we have a we have a mutual
1: yeah. uh, praise report. We we have a mutual friend that I knew from back in my time from living in Indiana, going to college in Indiana. And, you know, this person d- separately, right, na-
0: separately nowadays. And I met up with this person and realized that he had a very severe uh, drug addiction to meth. And it was so frustrating to have a conversation. And I realized that, like. You know he seemed all together when he was like hey come and uh, come, let's go have a cup of coffee kind of moment and mm-hmm. it seemed like it was all together and then it was just I lost my cell phone I don't know where I'm staying tonight like all these mm-hmm. kind of craze it was at, like lunacy like that uh he didn't have his wits about him and you got you stepped into his vortex. I, pra- I prayed with him and just kind of left it there you know and now the praise report is he is 60 days sober good and it is just yeah. such a blessing to see I didn't know that he was going to be able to turn it around there for a while yeah. and it's just so nice to see him healthy and in the gym and doing well so it can be done and i hope he continues with it and i'm just so grateful god for that one let me tell you right off the bat
1: that is a gift it
0: was nice to see you don't get to see
1: that that often it's beautiful. I love that. We also have a prayer request. Prayer mm-hmm. prayer request. <laughs> we still struggle saying it. Praise report prayer request.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dear Daniel and Azariah, could you please pray for my friend Dan who's struggling with his sobriety during quarantine? He has made so many big strides in the past few years. And I just want to ask God to give him the strength to keep following his path. Thank you, Greg. Well, Greg, uh, we will definitely pray for Dan. I also have another friend I'd like to add to this and I've been saving it cause I really want to talk to Kathleen about it, but mm-hmm. I have another friend that's struggling right now too. And it's just such a difficult thing to watch someone that you love go through this. And I know that, uh, God doesn't want you to love somebody so much that it hurts yourself. You can love a person from afar mm-hmm. and, um, you can pray for them and hope that they get better. And we will definitely uh, do that Dan. And include includes you in this. I'm excited to get into it. We have so much to unpack yeah, in today's episode. This, is, this um, is a big one. This is a big one. And for anyone who has had a history of struggling with addiction or, in, in, or, in, or someone who's going through recovery, or if anybody out there knows somebody, I mean, we all do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a great episode for you. So stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this commercial break with the scripture of the day. So hang in there. Hang in there. <laughs> We're back. And you know what time it is. It's time for the scripture of the day. Eight, eight, eight. Scripture of the day. Oh, oh, oh. Scripture of the We're together. Day. It's so food. What a, what a praise report. We forgot that uh, you and I get to sing this. It still sounds better when we're always oh, uh, singing yeah, it together. Uh, in it unison. The scripture of the day today comes to us from 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 9. Three times
1: I appealed to the Lord about this that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me.
0: I love okay. that. I, you know, the power is made perfect in weakness. I, that's beautiful. That speaks so loud to me yeah. because mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm at my lowest, I keep thinking to myself, like, I know that, If it gets any lower, like where it's at right now, that I have the uh, I have the high of that coming ahead. Mm -hmm. Like everything's Mm -hmm. a yin and a yang and 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 an ebb and a flow. And if Mm -hmm. I just trust and have faith that as low as I am right now, I'm about to be that that up in the air. So I have to make sure that I hang on for the good times. So many people give up. But also, if you surrender in the midst of your weakness,
1: surrender can mean so many different things. and, And that's one thing I think I'd like to talk to Kathleen about today. But. When I think of surrender, I think of letting go and you're just putting your hands up in the air and saying, I can't do this and I need more than what I'm capable of. I need help that's bigger than me. And so in the midst of that weakness, having the act of surrender and then finding
0: the power to move on to the next moment. I love that you use the word surrender, Azariah, because like recently I have been trying to do these like prayer meditations, I've really been trying hard to be specific in my prayer. This is something that has been a challenge for me. This has been a challenge for me for years that I want to be like super specific in the things that I ask God for. Um, I don't just want to say um, I want a new job. Mm-hmm. I want to say I want a new job doing this. Like the more specific I could get, I think the more likely I'm going to get what I'm asking for. And so I, I've rec- I've been waxing on potential Mm -hmm. I've been waxing on perseverance, Mm -hmm. longevity, and then now surrender. Surrender is what Mm -hmm. I've been really thinking about lately. Just what it means to give, just give it all up. And Mm -hmm. just like put it all at the foot of God and let God take care of it. And I would like to talk more about that with our guest. Are you ready to introduce it? Yeah,
1: let's bring Kathleen into this conversation. Kathleen Murphy is the executive clinical director for a treatment center in Los Angeles called Breathe Life Healing Centers. And I personally know Kathleen because I went to Breathe Life Healing Centers. I admitted myself in there when I learned that I had to surrender to a higher power because I was too weak to handle what I was facing on my own. So, Kathleen, welcome to Yas Chisas! <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you for having me. I feel so honored, really. I'm, I'm looking forward to having this conversation, too. Yeah.
0: You know, Kathleen, like, we really wanted you here cuz like for us it sometimes it, there's there's a huge cloud over the queer community. It feels like drugs and alcohol have been part of the queer community since the beginning. Yeah. And it's something that's always that since I started entering the queer community, immediately I started seeing drugs everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so um when they couldn't be out, bars became a place that queer people could gather. It was their safe place. And the reputation of the gay bar just stuck, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, Kathleen, you have direct experience in helping out LGBTQ people struggling with addiction. You're on the front lines of that.
2: Well, one thing, let me let me just say this for a minute. As soon as you used the word surrender, I thought to myself, it's a word that we use so much in recovery.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And Often, it seems like when we use a word a lot, we don't know what it means. Okay. And so I thought, you know what? I want to take a minute and look it up. And when I read this definition, I thought, y'all are going to love this.
1: <laughs> I'm ready.
2: Okay. Cease resistance to an enemy or opponent mm-hmm. and submit, right, to mm-hmm. their authority. To, to So I like that first part. Cease resistance to an enemy or an opponent. Like Because I start thinking about what, what surrender is, is recognizing that you're fighting this battle, right? Mm -hmm. And you're arguing with reality. Oh, I have this thing. Mm -hmm. And the surrender is, it's not taking a step backward, but it's advancing in another direction. So that you're like, even what you resist persists. even in the scripture, it says, resist not evil, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not that you would create all this tension against something but there is a new power when you stop fighting against something and then you turn your attention to a new authority does that make sense
0: yes i feel like unfortunately like a lot of people that do give up and to the drug and a lot of times they feel like that's what they're doing is that they're surrendering they feel like what they're doing is their, but what they're actually doing is enslaving themselves to another thing
2: yeah As Ryan knows, this is, I do these these things called uh, psychodramas. Uh I use it, you know, quote, because they're experiential methods. And I just, I just wanted to talk about, you know, my, an experience I had with a queer young man Mm. and the issue that I see with people and being able to surrender to a higher power, to love, to God, to even the name God Mm -hmm. or Jesus or anything like that is that there has been such abuse in the community. Yes. Like for instance, if this man when he was a young fella, he comes out and what he how he's treated, he's called names by his mm-hmm. Christian parents mm-hmm. and he's put into conversion therapy and he's told that God hates him.
3: Mm-hmm. Right? right?
2: And then this is what I'm seeing over and over and over again and I see the using of drugs or alcohol as a valiant struggle to try and connect for just a moment, not have to feel this pain. And in some way that drug and alcohol becomes a higher power hmm. because just for a minute you can stop hurting and maybe just connect to someone or something without having to be so filled with these painful thoughts that who you are is somehow all the wrong that there is in the world or that you yourself are a sin against God. If I wish I had not just heard that once, but I've heard this thousands of times.
0: Thousands of times, a pattern that it's a momentarily, a momentarily just, just a break in the pain. Yeah. So like a fleeting moment of, 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 of just relief.
2: Yes. And also what I've heard thousands of times is then even the word God or anything like that, you want me to turn my life over to what? becomes a very painful event because the word doesn't mean what it means to what i'm hearing it means to you
3: yeah right
2: right like when i'm doing this work with this young man and we're even looking at his identification with god is all things painful that somehow he's the unforgiven because scriptures from the old testament have been used Because they forgot, maybe, I don't know, that Jesus Christ came with a new law, Mm -hmm. which is to love everyone. And how how can God hate anyone if its nature is love? It would be the sun, like the sun in the sky going, oh, I don't like what you're doing, so now I'm going to be the moon. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the sheer, uh, the sheer nature of God, the sheer definition and purpose and all of that is love. And it's it's interesting because like I think a lot of queer people, they get involved in drugs for a lot of different reasons. Like you said, it is that momentary relief that you've heard thousands of times, an escape from like the daily pressure, the hurt effect. Everybody's doing it like, let me go with my friends. I know that was my issue um, when I was when I did other drugs I don't do anymore. <laughs> um, I felt like every time I went out, I couldn't say no. People are like, here's a joint. Here's a bump. Here's a here's a drink. Here's a glass of champagne and before i knew it i was mixing all these things together i just yeah. didn't think that i thought saying yes was the sociable kind fun thing to do and turn the party and keep it going you know drugs are often glorified and glamorized by our queer culture keepers uh this is something you know there's songs and music and it, and mention mention of it in pop in pop in pop music and mention of it in places where it just sounds glamorous it sounds mm-hmm. fun i mean i've often thought that drugs are liars you know, Coke is like the ultimate liar to me too. It makes people think that they look glamorous and like beautiful and they're like grinding their teeth and sweating in the corner and they think they look gorgeous. And they, you know, it promotes stealing. Like people who, who I've seen do Coke will steal from their brother an extra bump or whatever. That's $5, just, but just like it's nothing or take the miss, miss the bag or I just feel like it, it, the culture that's within there, people think that it's bonding them to people when in fact they're crossing people and they're doing things there that often is not working out for them, and one of the things that's really hugely an issue in the queer community, especially right now, is meth, crystal meth. Um, it is an epidemic. I see it everywhere. It was something we were talking about.
2: I live in West Hollywood. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Hollywood. Well, that's another thing. Even on the dating apps, uh, we were discussing this earlier uh, when we were going over the show, like all of the dating apps out there people will put either and it's, it changes regionally they'll put like a diamond for crystal or they'll put like a balloon for a party and, and play like um, in, in the south and they use different kinds of codes and I don't understand why this is not policed more by the apps Is when I was in Washington it was a conversation I had with a few congress people I was like this is like a part of the epidemic of our community like that's a whole nother conversation because I was there for a different reason I was like but we if we really want to talk about drugs in our community we have to talk about how it's so ingrained in our culture and in our events and, and things like that. So it, it's a difficult situation.
2: Well, for me, because I'm a trauma focused therapist, so I, I have to get down to causes and conditions and the, and the bottom line. And when I hear all those behaviors that you're talking about, I think to myself, no one was born thinking, you know what, I'm going to steal from my brother and my sister. No one was born thinking Oh, I'm going to have to hide from my loved ones because I'm afraid if they find out who I am, they're going to reject me. No one is born thinking that they have to hide to me. My whole thing is that we are born inherently perfect, that we that that's who we are, that we have inherent worth and value. And that is not up for debate, that we can't lose it or gain more of it, that we are born. And even in The Christian faith is we're born in the image of God. And it's like, so you cannot be imperfect. But when people have to deny who they are because of the culture or what they're taught or the institutions, what happens is people have a very narrow definition of trauma. You may not have been beat up. You may not have been yelled Mm. at or anything like that. But I don't need a story (laughs) to know if a person is traumatized just like this. If I go out to the ranch and I see a horse barking, I would go, WTF, what's going on with that horse, (laughs) right? Because I know that horses don't bark.
3: Right. Mm. So
2: I know that people are made for connection Mm -hmm. and I know that people aren't meant to destroy themselves. And so if I see people destroying themselves, especially what I see it in the queer community as an internalized destruction or Mm self-hate, that... I don't have to hear it. It's like I already know that we are made to grow toward the light. That's who we are.
0: Yeah. One thing that's so difficult, especially with some of those harder drugs, like things like meth, like the people who are on crystal meth, they have a lot of the same symptoms. They start to think that cameras are in the trees and people are following them and that they're secretly being recorded. They start to believe that um people are plotting against them.
2: It's psychosis. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so so this friend of mine started to post Facebook lives of him saying all those things that I've heard before from other people that were in this. Yeah. He was a pretty good friend of mine. I don't know what to do. It's like, what do you do in that situation? You can't reach out necessarily. Um, he's cause I know that I didn't talk to him.
2: I'm going to tell you what you can do. I'm going to give you stuff that doesn't make any sense. Like You can't talk someone out of that because Mm. you cannot use reason. This is not a reasonable thing. You can't
0: have a battle of wits with an unarmed person. If he doesn't have his wits about him, there's no way you can reason.
2: No. And so, but there are things that you can do and they're, they're subtle. The human nervous system responds to certain things. It's first of all, you can't get jacked up, right? It's like, you just have to know if you choose to talk to this person, All you're doing is being a loving presence so that maybe that they will remember the sound of your voice. That's it. Like, but to be able to talk to someone like to go, no, there's no cameras there. There's nobody like a person can't hear you. Yeah. And it's like,
0: I actually am going to read the text that I left because like, this was really all I thought to do, but I said, um, You know, everyone is worried about you get off the drugs. I can't have you in my life until you are sober. I've seen this happen to too many people. Everything that you think is wrong is just a byproduct of you doing meth. Everyone wants you back. And there's a huge list of people who have called me who are concerned for you. You need to want to get help. No one is filming or chasing you. You need to be healthy. You're going to lose everything and everyone if you don't get help. Please get sober. We can only help you if you help yourself. But until you're sober, this is the last you'll hear from me because meth is a deal breaker in my friendship.
2: Okay. So... Do you want feedback or no? Yeah.
0: I mean, I'll tell you why. First of all, I chose to do that because I thought that he might read it again. Like, and I wanted him to be able to have something that he can reread maybe when he's in a different mindset and know that I'm there for him. I said to him uh, later on in the conversation, because he did respond. I I already know that people like in his family have reached out to help him and stuff like that. So I told him that when he's 90 days sober, I'd be his friend again. I didn't know what else to really say.
2: Well... If you're looking for feedback, I always would say this. It's like mostly you're saying that for you because that can't, that's not going to translate. Right. Because they're not hearing any of that at all. And what happens is the level of shame is so deep. And it's like, look, I'm in the trenches person. I'm working with people. Yes. In my world, people die all the time. Yeah. I am in the middle of working with people like this. I, it is my primary community that I work with. And I do feel like I'm sitting there in the middle going, help. But what I'm going to say to you is I've, over the last seven years of working with thousands of men, really, mostly men with crystal meth, with um, sexual compulsivity, with the apps they go all together alls
0: all together he he actually this is the worst part of it um this all began when he moved across the street from a bathhouse do you know what i'm saying like it's it's not it's so accessible to him that it that it's it's impossible for me to help combat it
2: i have a saying for myself this is going to go against everything it sounds like you might know but my saying is god save me from people trying to help me
0: <laughs> that god saved you from people trying to help you
2: it's very opposite right
0: but i don't understand it makes sense to me like when a, you know because they say sometimes it happens all the time when someone's drowning and then someone else tries to help them and the drowning person pulls them down because of the panicking or whatever i i see that from both sides i see it as a person who's trying to help that doesn't even know how to swim and you know or like there's there i could see what you're saying well kathleen
1: what would you say is something that would be effective i know you said leave something behind that they can just feel like Martin Luther King Jr. said, "We won't remember the words of our enemies, or the words of our friends, or something like." That.
2: We remember how they made us feel. Yes, and so that's yeah. the,
1: is that the essence of what you're saying? Is like when you're faced in that situation, leave them with something how they feel.
2: Because what happens is when I work with, I also work with many families mm-hmm. trying to help, and I created the family program at Breed that primarily works with this. And it's like it is never a matter of people loving and caring. I borrow this from Buddhist philosophy. It's uh, unskillful. Rather, is it skillful or unskillful, right? And so giving advice is something I would just put a moratorium on, giving advice. I don't give it, right? So most of the stuff people already know, but they can't do it because lack of power is, is their dilemma. And especially when they're admits already being psychotic. So it's like, I already know that. So all I'm going to do is figure out how do I get myself in a middle position where I'm, when I'm saying things like, you need to do this or that for me, I've reached the limits of my own compassion. I don't know how to stand with this person where they are. Right. And I'm, I am, this is, I've been doing this 37 years and I can tell you that I still reach the limits of my compassion. And that's when I have to take a breath, watch that contraction in my heart. Mm right? Mm -hmm. My own child, I almost died of addiction. My own child's almost died of addiction. And I've been doing this a long time. And so I watch even with my own child when she almost died, how do I become a safe place instead of a mirror of everything that's wrong with her? Because what would happen is when we're like, okay, everybody is blah, 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 blah. When they look at you, they don't see you. They see the inside of their guilt and shame. So they don't even interact with you anymore. It's like Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart. Or and many times I've been in hospital rooms with people who have overdosed and everybody's crying. And the only person who doesn't feel it is the person who overdosed because they're not there. And so it's like softening my voice, just remembering, you know what? I'm here when you need me. Mm -hmm. I will be here after this passes. I love you. You know where I live. You have my number. That's it. I can't help you now, but I am here. Here is a number of a professional. Call them. Mm -hmm. Like keeping that voice soft, right? Mm -hmm. Not engaging in too much. I have to have boundaries. And I have to have boundaries of how I speak too. Yeah. Uh, and I know that you know this as right. You've watched me work. Yes. Right?
1: Yeah. I was actually thinking of a specific example when the, I think the last time I saw you was probably about two years ago. And I came to one of the alumni group meetings. And it was shortly after I, I did something that really hurt the community. And I did it in ignorance. And it was a really shameful moment for me once I realized what I had done. And I remember being in that alumni meeting and I remember just like you're explaining now how you made me feel because you looked at me and you told me that you said, I need you to hear this. And like you made such an earnest effort to make sure that I was listening, I was paying attention and that that I knew that I knew that I knew that I was still accepted, that I was still welcomed and that I was still loved. And so... When we make these choices that are hurting us and hurting others, to make that space and to expand our compassion is the way to dispel that shame, really, that opens up the doorway, if you will, to
0: allow someone to come back home within themselves does that make sense i I wish i spoke to you sooner kathleen i do because maybe i did handle it incorrectly and and the way you're saying it does sound like a better way to handle it i'm just fearful i'm fearful like i've like i said i was a bouncer in new york city for many years so i've seen this drug and what it does to people and other drugs and stuff like that and and i just it's not even my my uh friend that i'm afraid of it's like the people that he might be rolling with or you know, um, having them in my home, like you said, you know, like.
2: I want you to think about, you have a connection with the most powerful force in the universe, whose name is love for real. So when we go into, but my fear now to me, fear is a not that power. Fear is the anti love power. So that fear is almost like, When I think of the power of God, which is love, it's almost like fear, which false evidence appearing real, Mm -hmm, right?
3: mm -hmm.
2: False, that's the acronym, Mm -hmm, right? mm
3: -hmm.
2: It's almost like, it's almost like the, I caught the anti-life. That is the anti-life because fear tells us do this, do that, do this. But if that's not God, so I have to say to myself, am I relying on fear or God? But isn't Which it one?
0: also logic? Mm-hmm. Isn't it also logic not to trust this person?
2: Oh, you don't have to trust the person. I don't trust people or not trust people. I'm not saying, you tr- I'm not saying trust a person. I wouldn't let my own daughter in the house.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's basically the message I was trying to send. I, I already know. Um, I've just had situations with this person so many times in the past. You know, people who have... Addiction issues often disappoint people that love them like uh, due to the addiction. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. So there's no question. But uh, even before this person was using again, they were still an addict and they had already been through recovery through the, from this from another previous time. So this was like an in-between time that yes. we had met and become friends. But I felt like anytime I needed some emotional stability about a situation, a breakup, a this, or that, that it was always met with a humor and not listening. It wasn't absorbing. And I had made a decision a long time ago that this friend wasn't somebody who I could come to with those kinds of a thing, you know? And then to have them start using again, it just seemed to me like I, I was stuck in this really predicament because I want to be a man of God, Kathleen. I want to do the right thing by people. Um, I, I, I've been a loyal friend to so many people I hear to, that. to my own fault to the point where i've sacrificed my own uh, career my own money my own safety what morals value system whatever it is for other people throughout my personal history so i'm trying to find a way to navigate this now as a person with all the experience that i have
2: i want like, like run over there and come get you and and Sit us down and we're, and have this really <laughs> long talk because I would be like, okay, Daniel, <laughs> I'd be like, I hear your heart. Like, I hear everything that you are willing to put on the line. I understand, but here's what I wonder. It's like, what drives you past the point of your own limit? There's something that drives you past the point of your own limit. And I'm not talking about when I say choose love, I don't think love is nice. I mean, I don't think that, let's not confuse like love, the most powerful force in the universe, it can burn down a city or light it up depending on how it's channeled. I'm saying what's going on with you? And this is very common what you're talking about. And I remember I almost lost my own job trying to help someone before. So it's not like, I've never done this. Right, well, I've so just, you've done it I just have some times. years on you. That's all. And going, Oh, this doesn't actually help people when I sacrifice myself for them. It just makes me kind of resentful actually. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think there's like this, maybe what that power of love allows us to see here's reality. Right. I'm not going to fight about reality. And this person has an illness that is mind-boggling that they will destroy themselves, period. They're not reliable. And so what I look at myself, though, is like, why am I expecting someone who has shown time after time that they're unreliable?
0: To be reliable at all, to rely on them for anything.
2: Which is placing you and them in a position of disappointment, Right. This person is a, a not capable until they show action over time. That's not not loving them. I think loving people is seeing exactly what... It's like when a person has cancer. Oh, they have cancer. This is what it's going to look like. Oh, you're in active addiction. This is what going to look like. And there's clues to learn. Like when a person is in active recovery, they have characteristics to them. They become dependable. They say what they mean and mean what they say, right? They are a service to other people. It's not just a, what are you going to do for me, right? Like, these are the clues. They're not impulsive.
0: I have a friend who, this is what he said, even at the beginning of our friendship, we've been friends now for uh, maybe... Uh... 10 years or more. And he said to me, meth is a deal breaker for me. You don't do meth, do you? And it's like, no. And he's like, okay, if I ever hear or find out that you're doing meth, you're never going to hear from me again. You're going to wonder what it is. And if you're doing meth, that's what it is. I just, meth is the one drug. He said that love can't conquer. And that kind of stood with me so long. I think love can conquer anything.
2: Maybe it's God's love that can conquer. Mm, Yeah. Maybe it's almost like this. It's like, if you have cancer, you're still going to go to the doctor. Even if you, the person so it's like i love that your friend has a boundary that they know where their limit is and they're honoring of that right Mm -hmm. like like maybe maybe loving people is not i'm not saying getting on the the thing and saying if you don't do that like when they're in uh when they're high they're not gonna listen to that but it's gonna upset you so it's like if a person calls you up and says hey i need help i'm gonna be available this, I'm going to test it out to see if they really want help or relief, to be honest.
0: I also have a problem with people that are like, like especially on these dating apps where they're like, I don't do meth or tea or whatever. But if you do, I don't have a problem with that.
2: You already know something's up.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: See how you have a problem with it? It's like something's up. Yeah. Like, because why is a an average healthy person going to want to be even around that?
0: Mm. Because it's easy sex with a hot person.
2: Understood.
0: You know?
1: So
2: that's where I wonder about homophobia.
0: mm. Internalized homophobia? Yes. Mm. How so?
2: Like, because why are you going to easy sex with a hot person? Fine. How about one that's on the same playing field? Mm.
1: (laughs) Are you saying because you can't love yourself enough to... To bring that and track that to yourself that that's the healthy love.
2: Like why you go into somebody who is uh, obviously impaired. Mm. Like then you might want to question yourself if I'm willing to have easy sex with a high person, uh, a hot person, and it doesn't matter to me that they're impaired you know, a question might want to be like, hmm.
0: it's really great that you're calling it impaired. I mean, that to me seems like a healthier way to look at it. than they're partying or they're high or they're lit or they're having a good, they're part, they're having a good time. They don't, I don't, you know, they're, they're, they're selling it. Like they're having fun. Not like they're impaired.
2: Yeah. And then until they're not until, until they're not.
3: Yeah. right. Right. For me,
2: I don't see, The men dying uh, this way through overdosing, like I see with opiates, what I see them doing is committing suicide when they're so horrified with who they have become. Like, look, a lot of people have had to have mastered the art of deception, self-deception and other deception. But that started as being a young child who had to hide who they were from their own family. Yeah, Yeah. that's the truth.
1: Kathleen, I want to jump in real quick because... You describe trauma as the crossing of wires. You say it's not the event, it's not the story that happens to you, but yeah. it's a crossing of wires. Yeah. Is, that, is, is that where the crossing of wires happens?
2: Yeah, well, I would say that, like, these adverse childhood experiences, if we have a biological imperative to seek proximity to the caregiver, but you, like, I have heard reports as young as three or four or five years old, oh, I know there's something different with me, uh-huh. right? And uh-huh. so, this wanting connection, but then being afraid, or even having a mom who's highly anxious, right? You might start this natural, like, like, even like this kid, when he was three years old, he naturally wanted to play with things that were socially constructed as female or as feminine, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. then was told from Jump Street by his father, No, you can't do that. And so there begins this, I have to hide who I am. And so your wires, which are meant to give you accurate information about your environment so you can go towards safety and away from danger, become crossed. And so what I see is people going toward danger, away from safety, around safety, feeling Mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah. Like somebody that would be a good partner, maybe you wouldn't feel all jacked up, but you're like, eh, I feel nothing. Yeah. But then the bad boy comes along, right? You're like, hey, (laughs) right?
0: At least you're scared. Yeah. Or something.
2: At least you're scared. Like, even saying that is like, so that's going into a sympathetic, it's called the sympathetic nervous system where you're in fight or flight. And the natural response to that in the body Mm -hmm. is to pull away from that. Yeah. Right. But many of us who have been wounded relationally will read that signal as, Oh, they like, like, let me just give you an example of how that might happen. Uh, I remember I was a little girl and, um, you know, some little boy was hurting my feelings, right. Um, saying mean things. Mm -hmm. And so what would people say? Oh, they, he must have a crush on you. Oh, hurt feelings. It must mean attraction. Like, I was, I didn't know, I was taught what these feelings are.
0: It's so true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the first thing they say is he must ever crush on you.
2: Yes. And so it's like, and then I want you to think about yourselves as young men. Mm -hmm. Were you even allowed to say those words? Mm -hmm. Like, let's say you had a crush on a young little boy.
3: No. Were you even
2: allowed say that like i could say that Head to the no <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it's it is traumatizing it is we're digging through all of that that's why we wanted to have this show that these things are specific to the queer community a lot of times and yes and a lot of times they're getting the big broad stroke you know like with everything else and it,
2: In a lot of southern communities then every day or every week people are going to church
3: mm-hmm mm-hmm
2: and then they're hearing these other messages. And not only do I risk my parent rejecting me, but I'm now going to burn in hell. Yeah. I'm going to be disconnected from God. Why wouldn't you hide? Yeah. And then if there's some drug or some alcohol or some person yes. that offers you a moment of reprieve, you see, I see that as a valiant attempt at trying to connect, even if it cost you almost everything. You see, this is a compassionate read rather than a what is wrong with you read. Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't it make sense? And then after that, then there's shame and guilt because, oh my God, I have these other messages. Look at me. I swear, dear God. Please take this from me. I promise. These are the things that I've heard in secret. Please, God, take this from me. Right? And then it doesn't happen. And then some maybe even older guy comes along. And then for the first time you feel met or touched, but then the shame and guilt. Oh, my God, I have to hide this. And then Crystal which annihilates everything, takes it away. And then you have not just average sex, but through the roof. And then you begin to develop this interaction with the, um, and then you have these apps where you can secretly, right? But with the apps to me, it's just like.
0: How do you com- combat that?
2: Well, there's nothing easy about any of this.
1: Yeah.
2: it's connection, yes. connection. it's connection it's sitting with somebody and not like I'm not saying look I don't want anybody all high on meth in my house we're so grateful for the days that he's clean mm. and we stay away when he's not
0: that's so impactful um, we're going to take a quick break uh, uh, from our sponsor and we'll be right back with more with Yash Jesus and Kathleen Murphy ah!
1: All right, we're back. We're still talking with Kathleen Murphy, the Executive Clinical Director of Breathe Life Healing Centers. Kathleen, addiction is a disease. But one of the things that I learned that really blew my mind while I was in treatment at Breathe was, it's a disease. And the word is in there, dis-ease. You're at dis-ease within yourself. You are not at home within yourself. Yes. And what are, what are some of the ways that maybe people who are listening right now that are dealing with that dis-ease? What are some quick ways would you suggest that they can start to feel a little bit more at home within themselves?
2: Gosh, you just asked the big questions.
0: Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We don't have a lot of time, but we always want to get the best information we can in here.
2: <laughs> well, first of all, recognizing that, that you are in dis-ease like this. Oh. This is a moment of suffering, Mm -hmm. right? I'm Mm -hmm. having a moment of suffering. It's like using compassion, using love, rather. But what I see is that we don't even recognize moments of suffering, Mm -hmm. right? We have these other things. Oh, it's no big deal. We avoid it. We ignore it, right? And so it's like, can we even recognize when that this ease is taking over or we're in it? So that's the first order of business. And again, I know you know this. Like one of my favorite, you know this, I don't know if you remember, but one of my favorite words in the world is Hebrew. And it comes from Exodus, hmm. right? And I'm thinking, in the way I think about it is like Moses walking around, right? Mm-hmm. And he hears his name being called. So when your name is called, in whatever way that is, you wake up, right?
3: Yeah,
2: You wake up. And he says this word, hineni, which is, here am I. So this is almost like, oh, a call for presence, to recognize. Okay, here I am. It's not just like, present, (laughs) but I am here. And then God gives the next direction, which I think is always the solution. Take off your shoes and shed your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Like right now, really get into this moment. And sometimes that moment is like recognizing, I am in suffering. And instead of that voice that tells you, what is the matter with you? Get over it. There's nothing wrong with you. You would never say that to a child, but to say, oh, because some of us have lost our ouch. Like, I love you. I'm sorry you belong here. This is a moment of suffering. I'm a human being, human beings suffer. Because some of us have lost our humanity, our common humanity, right? And what do I need right now? What is being asked? Like a moment of nurturance. Like it might be, do I need to call someone? Do I need to just pause and say, hey, honey, it's okay. Like, and some of us, We feel okay about calling ourselves names, but we feel awkward about going, it's okay, honey. We're going to find a way through this block. Mm -hmm. And it's okay that you are here. You're afraid. I have you. I'm going to take care of you. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Like this is the beginning of learning how to care and recognize a moment of suffering.
1: And surrendering.
2: To to that, to go, Mm -hmm. ah. It's okay that this is here. I love you. I'm sorry. You belong here. And not not just you, but this little piece of suffering that says, I'm scared. Because maybe it's an indicator that an action needs to be taken. But we have to arrive in that moment, right? That Hanani moment. Mm. Put your shoes on the ground. It's like, I think it's like the most amazing thing that was ever said. Here. Your name is being called, every feeling is your name being called by God. I'm here. Let me take off my shoes, which is a metaphor, right? For the ground of our being. And that if God is I am, that I am, that means that everything that arises in this moment is worthy of being listened to. And that what addiction does is it takes us out of the everlasting, ever-present, eternal moment where, all, where God is and all things are possible. Yeah. When,
1: when I was in the midst of my dis-ease, that, the thing that brought me the ease <laughs> was when I found that connection. And so, that is, for me, my, my way out when I know I'm spiraling is I need to connect with somebody. And yeah. and that's what Breathe really taught me was was community and connection again and the importance of that.
2: Right there, even before you knew that you needed to talk to someone, you had to recognize that you needed to talk to someone. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we bypass that piece so much because we don't recognize. If you had to lose yourself, how difficult it is it Like, and I want us to, like, have a bit of room for this to go, oh, first recognize it. It's so big.
1: So, if you're listening to this episode of Yes, Jesus right now with Kathleen Murphy, this is how the big book says how recovery works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them, too, do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these, we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the rest was nil until we let go absolutely.
2: Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find God now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandonment. Here are the steps that we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than us could restore us to sanity. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs.
1: We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. We made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. We continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. We sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of her will for us, and the power to carry that out.
2: I love this. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs.
1: So those, those are the 12 steps. So if you're listening to this, and I know that quarantine has been a hard time for everyone, but especially for people who are dealing with addiction and trying to walk that sober path, These are the steps, and you can reach out to us here at Yes Jesus if you would like.
0: There's also a growing sober queer community there's lots of ways to gather and party without drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. people are doing things like dodgeball mm-hmm. and painting classes and dare I say at church uh, <laughs> volunteering <laughs> there's lots of things that you can do um, to get out there with people and have a good time and get to know people and play games mm-hmm. and just do fun stuff that doesn't involve drugs or alcohol uh, Kathleen Murphy thank you so much uh, for joining us um, yeah. we'd love to have you pray with us if you stick around for just a second uh, but we'd like to let you know today at For today's tithe, love-offering, charity, act of good, know these organizations. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline is uh, confidential, and it's free help from public health agencies to find substance use and treatment information. And you could reach them at 1-800-662-4357. Once again, 1-800-662-4357. And also Al-Anon is for people just like you who are worried about someone uh, with a drinking or substance abuse or problem. So please feel free to reach out. Um, and that's another, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous is a great place to hang out with people <laughs> and uh, do it soberly. Uh, <laughs> I've met some of the best people at those meetings. Uh, let's close in prayer. We're going to do the serenity prayer today. Okay. Uh, dear God, please grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, and we'd like to thank you, God, for Azi and I's mutual friend who has achieved 60 days sobriety. Yes. There is hope out there. Lord, we'd love to thank you so much for having Kathleen Murphy come and join us and share her wisdom and her knowledge. And thank her as an angel on earth who has helped thousands of uh, queer people struggling yeah. with uh, substance abuse and addiction. And we're just so appreciative of having you there, Kathleen.
1: Yeah, thank you for the bright light That is Kathleen Murphy, God, and for her being able to work through her stuff to be able to shine that and help people like me to find our light again, my light again. And so we thank you for that. I give you praise for it. Yes. And and
0: Kathleen, what would your prayer be for the LGBTQ community struggling or having someone who's struggling in addiction?
2: My prayer I pray that all untruth be unlayered and that the truth of the inherent value that be lived and and just shine every single day and that knowing that whatever suffering or pain is there can be transmuted into the gold of your lives in a way that is unimaginable but possible
0: that's so wonderful. Thank you so much. Amen, Lord. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for joining us. This has been so great to have you here. Just really like I feel like I had a therapy session with you myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Ka- Kathleen Murphy. Where can we find you online?
2: Um, at Breathe Life Healing Centers. That's breathelifehealingcenter.com.
0: Well, you and Breathe Life will be in our prayers also. Uh, We'd like to thank you for joining us. And thank you, all you listeners, for listening to another episode of Yash Jesus. You can find us on social media at Yash Jesus Pod or on our website at YashJesusPod.com. Send us your praise reports, your prayer requests, your episode ideas, your guest ideas, or even just a, hey, girl, we want to hear from you, (laughs) Hanny. Yash Jesus is hosted by me, Danny Franzese, as always with... Azariah Southworth.
1: Music, sound, editing, and all things audio are done by Chris Heckman. Our show is produced by the freaking deacon, Ross Murray. Special thanks to Sophie Serrano and Meredith Pauly.
0: Yes, Jesus is brought to you by Oddity. Oddity execs are Ryan Lochner, Jessica Bastillos, and Steve Michaels. Keep praising the Lord, y'all. All oh!